Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. My name is Crudy. And my name is Will. And today we're going to be recapping Purple Hyacinth, episodes 66 to 71. Yes, this is a series of recaps that Crudy and I have been doing for Purple Hyacinth season two. We love Purple Hyacinth, and we're going to be breaking it down, giving our thoughts on each chapter, and giving our general thoughts on the series as a whole. Third recap, let's go. So we start off with Lauren coming back from her Grey Chapel date, quote unquote date, with Kieran in episode 65. And it's the next morning and she's run into Tristan on her way in. And it's really funny because I don't know, I like this because he was totally teasing Lauren about the date. He was like, so how did it go? Like the typical spending the night out and the parent is teasing you about it type of vibe. Or at least he's he's kind of having a fun uncle vibe here. And it's made a bit funnier because Lauren is very much cringing over it. Yep. Classic parent move. Tease the kid for being out. Though Tristan is being a little bit shady in this scene. I guess, okay, because to me, this didn't read as shady. I know he's been shady in the past and you and I have kind of side-eyed him a good chunk of that time. But explain to me what you found shady about this. So, color me a little bit biased, but I am thinking of some of the previous interactions that he's had with Lauren. But the teasing to me doesn't come off as just teasing. It comes off as a little bit probing, too. Oh, like he's fishing for something? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's totally possible. You're right. He could be kind of probing or fishing, especially the next part where he invites Lauren to bring her mysterious date to the New Year's party where Duck on the Hawks family and, you know, William and everybody is going to be. So who knows what's going to happen with that? I I think we're all curious about what is Tristan's deal exactly. Yeah, we'll find out more and more as we go on. Mm-hmm, we will. But in the meantime, Lauren, fresh off of her Grey Chapel escapade, she kind of starts thinking, her mind's racing as it normally does, and she broods a little bit about what she discovered about Snapdragon and how there are no records of the organization anywhere. It's like it's been erased. While she's thinking about this, about Tim Sake and Sandman, Kim sneaks up behind Lauren, not using the door like a normal person, coming up through the window, and she scares the bejeebus out of her. Yeah. Kim has a habit of not using the door as we learn that she has a habit of just jumping through the window just because. Yeah, I mean, because why not, right? (laughs) She's like, the day I use the door like a normal person, you know something's wrong. But I, I did think that this episode was very cool because it did give us a little bit more information, a little bit more backstory about Kim and Lauren and their relationship and how they became friends. Yeah, we get to see how they first met, which was a little strange, the circumstances of that, I mean. But also in the present day, we get to see their current friendship and support for each other, where Lauren admits to Kim that 
she ran into Tim's sake. Yeah, I actually really like this conversation between the two of them because it's not often that we get to see them have a moment together like this. It's built into the webtoon and into the character dynamics that these two are solid friends, that they have a lot of love and care and respect for each other. And we've seen hints of that in the past enough to know that to be true, but it's not often that we're able to see the two talk plainly like this and confide in each other, especially because Lauren has all of these big secrets that she has to hold close to the vest, which is why I'm really glad, actually, that she was able to open up to Kim about one thing about Tim's sake and the fact that she had confronted him and about the fact that the Sandman, the family driver, is still alive. And we also learned some new information through this as well. Us as readers, I mean, the fact that Tim's sake has a restraining order against Lauren, which is very interesting and we'll get into that. But it's just a really beautiful moment. You can really see the love that the two characters have for each other and the loyalty they hold to each other. Uh, Lauren asks Kim to keep things to herself and Kim has such an epic line. She's like, you're giving me anxiety, (laughs) but I will comply. Yeah, the Tim's sake information is really interesting. We thought we knew most of what happened there, but I guess not. Yeah, it's fascinating because... All of the information that we were given before with Lauren kind of blowing up during the interrogation and her kind of confronting him and pushing him, there's more to that story. There is a reason why she's so ostracized in the police department, and I am so curious to learn more about that. Something I forgot to mention, too, before Lauren shared with Kim that there were kidnapped children in the car before the Allendale explosion, which you know, leads us back to the Dylan mystery a little bit as well. And, you know, we'll have to see what happens there. But yeah, the Tim's sake stuff is fascinating. We got teased a little bit more about the Dylan connection. This has been happening all throughout this web too. Little sprinkles of information here and there. And we probably won't learn anything for a while. But, you know, it is what it is. It is. And the Dylan mystery is a core part of the Purple Hyacinth story and what was driving Lauren forward. So it makes sense that that's something that's still motivating Lauren, or at least still a part of the story, part of the whole picture. So we'll have to see if that goes anywhere, uh, see if we learn a little bit more about the kidnapped children, but it'll be interesting. I don't have too much more to say about this episode. Maybe just a comment on the teasing that Kim did of Lauren's relationship with Kieran. But that's it. What about you, Will? I just have a little side point about how I find it strange in the Kim and Lauren flashback that Lauren doesn't find it at all strange that someone just kind of dove into the archive room at the police headquarters. (laughs) Yeah, she's just so chill about it. She's like, okay. There's no questioning. Who's this strange person? There's just like a, oh, yeah. Hey, what's up? Oh, yeah. You work here? Cool. It was a really sweet um, kind of depiction of their relationship. And you can tell that they've kept up that dynamic for the most part since then. So I thought it was cute. Back to the point that I wanted to just quickly touch on with regards to Kim's teasing of Lauren's so-called relationship with Karen. It is played for laughs and it's funny uh, because Kim teases Lauren and Lauren sort of denies and she's kind of like, oh, he's a sadistic, egotistical jerk, you know, which is fine and funny. But I do really wish that Lauren 
tried to disguise that a little better. She's supposed to be in a relationship with Kieran. Like that's their cover. And it's a pretty important cover because it covers up for the night that they were out with Anslow. And it also covers up some of their shady behavior at the police precinct. So I kind of, I know this was played for last, but I kind of think, is this going to come back to bite her in the butt? What's going to happen here? So I kind of wish that she was trying to at least seem a little more into Kieran, you know, for the sake of their cover that they had put up. Yeah, I hear you. I suspect that this is going to come back in the form of one of the characters, Kim or Will, puts it all together. And this, among some of the other scraps of evidence, will put it all together. And they'll remember that they say they're a couple, but they don't really act like one. And then there are moments like this where Lauren's not really putting on the face as well as Kieran. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, well, we shall see. But um, moving on, though. The episode ends with Will going home with his father waiting for him. Oh boy, another Will chapter. Yeah, and this time we get to meet the father. He's been hinted at. Will's pressure cooker situation has been spoken about and alluded to, but we get to see it firsthand this time. Yep. Will's dad is a authoritarian, status-driven, and very, very strict individual. Nothing less than perfect is good enough for him, basically. <laughs> and it's really funny because he kind of goes into everything about Will's life that he doesn't like. Yeah, it's bordering on an exposition dump. But we do learn a lot about Will and much more about his background than we have before. And I will say, no pun intended, that we've actually been needing this for a while because I think too many things have just been teased at. Yeah, it's good that we finally got it out in the open. He touches on Will's job and about how he needs to excel and do well. And I'll get more into that in a moment because he mentions that there's pressure on Will to find Loon in order to be promoted to Colonel. But speaking of Loon and Lauren, he also goes into Will's friends. Basically, it just sounds like he hates him having friends. He dislikes the association that he has with Lauren because she is disgraced, even though Tristan is the chief of police, and he wants him to get married. So clearly, public opinion, reputation, those kinds of things are very important to Will's dad. Yeah, unless his friends have some kind of utility or status or something tangible, they're useless. They're not good friends for him to have. He shouldn't associate with them. You know, this is kind of classic elitism at play. Yeah, it's it's real cringe. But I do want to mention really quickly that line that he dropped about Will needing to find Loon to get promoted to Colonel. I'm really curious about your thoughts on this because to me, this felt really clumsy. It made sense to me that he might know about the investigation into Loon because he probably has connections with the current chief of police or other people at the precinct, but there's no specific stakes attached to finding Loon. 
that have been set up in the webtoon up until that point, other than maybe Herman's approval that would lead to Will's promotion. It just feels like something to up the drama that hasn't been properly set up, or it's something that we're kind of just trying to insert to up the drama. I agree with you. This definitely felt like it was thrown in just to ramp up the drama a little bit. Yeah, And you're right. It does make sense that the old police chief would know this information, but this hasn't been set up before. And I think you and I have discussed this problem with Purple Hyacinth in that there are sometimes some elements, some story beats that are not set up beforehand and just kind of get brought in, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it can feel a little bit forced. Right. And it's kind of the thing where we need to get from A to B, but not all of the steps in between set up because webtoons just move at a really quick pace. And sometimes that just happens and you do get those gaps and that's okay. So you end up, I think, just getting moments like this sometimes where things might feel, you know, a little bit like that, like we're just trying to get from A to B. Moving on for a bit on to later in the chapter. We get to learn more about Will's mother. She's clearly the heart of this family. Like, you can see how much Will's father loves their mother. And he even says about Will, you've always been your mother's son. So she's kind of the beating heart of this family. And her illness has really affected everyone. Yeah. It's clear that her mental facilities are deteriorating. And it's not clear what kind of illness she has. Will and his father don't seem to know, despite them having access to the best doctors and infinite money to treat her. And they don't know what's wrong with her, but she seems to be slipping. Right. They even say that she's got two to three months left, which is not long. And the timeline coincidentally aligns with the timeline of Lauren and Kieran's mission too, which is interesting. So everything seems to be lining up in that way. I do find it a little bit suspicious that no one seems to know what's wrong with Will's mom. Like, is she being poisoned? Is someone out to get the Hawks family? What's going on? How come they don't know what's wrong with her? Yeah, I think it would be one thing if they at least offered options or suggestions or like hypotheses of what might be happening, but there was just a discussion of, no, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> Which, yeah, just feels a little bit slightly unrealistic. Also in this scene, we get the reveal of what the censored text was back at chapter 62, which at the time I didn't, I wasn't too favorable on doing this. And the reveal didn't feel all that satisfying for me, at least. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Grudy? I think it makes sense why they kept the reveal. I think I'm a little more neutral on it. I'm okay with it. It makes more sense to me now. What I'm really interested in, though, it, it wasn't the moment that hit the hardest for me, is what I can say about that, at least. What interests me more is just seeing Will interact with his mother. Because as we mentioned before, he's his mother's son. They look like each other, and her illness has been really hard on him. And... Like you mentioned before, her mind has been kind of deteriorating. It's unclear if it's memory loss or hallucination. We're not sure. But she thinks that he is Raphael, which brings up an automatic amount of questions. 
is he another son? Is he a biological brother, an adopted brother, a stepbrother? Like, we don't know exactly what the dynamics are here. So it's very interesting. And there's a lot that opens up to speculation about that, that we'll probably get into more when we discuss our takeaways. But that was a really good scene. I felt I really liked getting a glimpse into that. And I think it made us understand Will a little more. Crudy, what are your takeaways for this chapter? I think in general, if I think about this episode or look at this episode, while we got a lot of really good information and backstory from it, I don't know about you, you can let me know your thoughts on this, but I think it would have been just as effective if it had been cut into half the length. I think all of the meat and all of the important bits could have still been there and we would have gotten the same effect emotionally. For me, it felt like it maybe went on a little bit too long, or I would have been okay with having the length of this section just like squished a little bit, and I think it it would have still flowed really well. I very much agree with you. I don't know if it needed half the time exactly, but this chapter definitely could have been shortened, I think, and I think it would have had more impact, because in some ways, a lot of the big points of drama just feel like a little bit too much and a little bit too drawn out. But overall, it still worked. I'm still on board and I'm very glad that we got to learn so much about Will and his circumstances. I agree with you. I think this episode really did increase my interest in Will. The more we learned about his relationship with his mom and his family and how he's coping with his mom's illness. We get questions about Raphael now, which I'm very curious about because we saw a figure at the end of the episode who was on the bench with him, playing piano with him as a kid. Who is that person? Is that Raphael? I am really curious about all these things now, and I'm fascinated to see where they'll go. And the other part of this that was very interesting to me was at the very end, when it becomes clear that Will is actively pretending. He is conscious and aware of the mask that he is putting on and that he has to put on for his family, whether it's with his mother and he's pretending to be Raphael, even as much as it pains him inside, or in front of his father where he's behaving up to expectations. And in the end of the episode, he says, in the end, there's just you and me. What is he referring to? Who is he referring to? I want to know. And when will wearing the mask become too much? Yes. Ugh. That's the juicy bit. Like, that's the stuff that I'm curious about. Moving on to chapter 68, we get one... Fairly weird transition back to Grey Chapel. Yeah, it's really strange because when I was first reading this, I thought that this was flashing back to their first Grey Chapel visit, but turns out that this is another visit. This is their next Grey Chapel visit. I don't think it helps that they're wearing the same clothes, which I think contributed to my confusion, but that is the case. Um, so Lauren and Kieran are in Grey Chapel again. And they are witnessing the police's interactions with some of the Great Chapel children, the beggars that are basically at the side of 
the road next to the houses and are clearly very, very impoverished. Yeah, this leads to another Lauren and Karen conversation that is a little juicy and a little strange. Yeah, I want to hear more of your thoughts about this uh, whole conversation that they have about the police and hypocrisy and all of these things. On one hand, I am glad that we do get this moment between Lauren and Kieran to kind of compare notes on their worldviews. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's something that is always cool to see between two of the main characters where their worldviews kind of clash a little bit. But the strange part about this to me is that they get into a talk about the hypocrisy of being a police officer in this world and the the way justice is administered and how unfair it is to people who are impoverished and how Lauren is a little bit of a hypocrite for being an arbiter of justice and yet she serves justice only for the wealthy and the powerful. Yeah, like regardless of intent, the police system is contributing to a system of oppression, one that oppresses the impoverished. I do think that it was it was a really good moment that Lauren becomes and is made aware of her own privilege. She's rich. She's never experienced these injustices that the people driven to desperation into the Phantom Scythe might have. I think that was really good because it provides some layers when it comes to her feelings and thoughts about the Phantom Scythe and taking it down. But I think it may have been, you know, I, I think what it is, it just feels a little inserted. And and this is something that we've just mentioned before, so it's consistent with that. Yeah, I do agree. This conversation and this theme of the hypocrisy of their justice in this world does not feel like it's been set up beforehand. I'm glad they have this conversation. We are midway through this season, and this is a fine time to bring up more themes and more story bits and more questions of morals to spice up the story some. But like how we talked about in our last recap episode, how the Kim and Will stuff seemed to come out of nowhere, this also feels like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, a little bit. I'm not completely mad about it coming up in this section of the webtoon in the middle, and I'm very interested to see where it goes, but I actually think it also would have been really cool to have this come up in the beginning of their partnership. And I, I think that could have been really compelling too. So potentially a missed opportunity, but either way, I, I think these are some really important questions and important topics that Purple Hyacinth is addressing with its characters. Kieran and Lauren also talk about the circus ticket that they come across. And we learn a little bit more about the circus. We already knew that it started in this neighborhood in Grey Chapel and that Fleming's ticket is for February 17th. And they both kind of decide that it's going to be important for them to check out this circus. Yeah, we finally revisit the circus that got teased earlier on in season two. And we're going to have a circus date. Oh, yeah. I'm so ready for this. I'm really excited. That was that was my reaction, like, finishing this episode. I was like, we're getting a circus date. That was my exact reaction, too. 
These two just going on so many midnight escapades, so many midnight dates without even knowing it. But moving on, they decide to check out the circus, but Kieran also asks Lauren a question that's kind of been on his mind. How did she know about the print shop in the first place, the one that they visited in the last Great Chapel episode in episode 65? And and we get some more sharing, which is always great. I love a good sharing moment between these two, especially after everything we've been through. So she shares what she knows about the Snapdragon and that she found these materials in her parents' attic. And she found a postcard with some disturbing things written on it. And it was from this print shop. She thinks the writer of that postcard knew about the massacre and that her parents may have known that writer. Yeah, we're really following up the Snapdragon plot thread that was left dangling from earlier. Mm-hmm. And as Lauren and Kieran are discussing these things and making plans, we see the view pan away from them and someone's watching them. And it's none other than the mysterious photographer who I have nicknamed Mr. Duran Duran because the only thing he's concerned about is getting Lauren on film. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, photo guy is stalking Loki in Great Chapel. Uh, this is the guy with the missing finger. And now we learn he also... I wouldn't call it a beard necessary, but he has facial hair. He's got, you know, stubble, some straggly hair, and he calls her Ren in a kind of what we assume to be a familiar tone. So he knows her and he says, I have so much to tell you. So, yeah, we have questions about who this guy is. Who could he be? Are we going the Harry Potter route with the whole missing finger decoy? I don't know. We'll just have to find out. Or are we getting the classic Purple Hyacinth fake-out, where in the next scene, Dakon is talking to the queen, and she comments on his appearance, and we see that Dakon has grown a little bit of facial hair, and that connection is there between that and the previous scene. It probably means nothing. This is Purple Hyacinth we're talking about, but it's worth noting. Regardless, we do see Dakan and the Queen stand off in the next scene of this episode, and we learn some interesting things about the royal politics and the dynamics of the palace. Yeah, we learn a bit about how the Queen views the common people and about how they're unhelpable and things cost too much money and we could spend money on them but it won't do anything does this sound familiar by the way um <laughs> they're ungrateful you know all the all the good stuff but more importantly according to dakon ardalis is not doing well in terms of societal health people are broke people are impoverished and this is why people are joining phantom site out of desperation yeah, he's definitely worried about the South Shore, which kind of leads me to think like, okay, is he not as shady as we thought he was initially? He knows that shit is being stirred up and that something is gonna come, something is coming on. And his position is that he's trying to prevent it. He is trying to do everything he can to prevent the big thing that he knows is going to happen. And and I don't really, I'm not insinuating that he has knowledge of what's to come, although he may, who knows. It's more that I think he has a feeling of, okay, this is 
what's in the water right now. And he seems to have a better pulse, certainly, than the Queen on public sentiment. I think the struggle that Dakan kind of runs into is that his position with Philip might be good, but he's clearly not in a strong position politically, or as he could be anyway, because of some stuff that he has done in the past with counsel. And so I guess this is where you can draw similarities with him and Lauren, where they both have really good intentions, but they're both, maybe they've got a bit of a troublemaking streak in them. Who knows? So we'll have to see what he can accomplish, but I think it'll be really interesting. And throughout the course of this conversation, we do learn something very, very juicy, actually. And it's that the queen is directly involved with putting down Snapdragon. Yes. Both Dakan and the Queen are aware of Snapdragon and what it is, and we get confirmation that she was the one that squashed Snapdragon. And I am so curious to learn what Dakan knows about it and his involvement with it. Like what was his activity with that at the time? Like, what's his deal and position? I It's really interesting, and I'm super curious about that. And this raises another interesting question. Were Lauren's parents placed deliberately at Allendale? Is that how Snapdragon was gotten rid of? Yeah, it's hard to say. And then, like, separately, we have all these questions, too, of is it related to what Dakan did at the council, it's there's there's a lot of questions I have, and the, a lot that I'm really curious about, including the royal spymaster that he mentions. Which, like, I'd love to know who that is. You know, who is spying on the Phantom Scythe? Yeah, who is able to spy on the Phantom Scythe? Yeah, I'm really fascinated to know that. There's there's a lot of hints that got teased from this little section that I'm really curious to learn more about and I think will pay off in future episodes. Moving on, we are at the circus. Loki is going on a date. Yeah, it's the circus date. When we first heard about the tickets, we were like, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? Oh, God. Episode 69 is coming out. It, did it happen? See the thumbnail. It happened. It's happening. I mean, of course, nothing actually happens because, yeah. But, um, yeah, they're going on a cute little date. And we get some moments of concern and cuteness from the two of them. Some cute ship moments. Like when Lauren gets really close to explain how she knows about Tim's sake when Kieran asks her. And we see some mysterious uttered words. This this webtoon likes to do the blurred words effect for either delayed gratification or just to keep the mystery. It's unclear. But it's mysterious. We don't really know what is said here. Yeah, I've already spoken about how much I don't like this trope. And once again, I don't really like it here either. But of course, this is a part of the what actually happened to get Lauren fired mystery. That has been sitting on the back burner for a while now, and this is another reminder that it's still there, it's still looming over us, and like many others, I am very excited to find out what that is. Mm-hmm. And in the same breath, Lauren reveals the concussion, the truth of that morning when she found out that Kieran was going to be working at her precinct, that she had gotten a concussion from 
her interaction, her altercation with Tim's sake. And we get some moments of concern here, as we said before, and they're really adorable. He's like, are you stupid? You went out to the Carmine Camilla. You were climbing rooftops and you were fighting. And she was just like, oh, hush. Like, you know, you would have done the same thing. Like, they're two birds of a feather. And he exclaims, dear gods, have I met my equal in stubbornness? And Kieran, I think you really have. It would be a fairly fierce competition between the two of them i think so and knowing these the and knowing these two they would actually make it a competition uh, they strike me as that kind of a couple a little competitive with each other that's if they ever become a couple <laughs> well stop breaking the hearts of the fandom please <laughs> people are going to stop listening to our podcast will they though will they really <laughs> Well, I don't want to find out. Anyway, moving on, though. Anyway, um, moving on, though. <laughs> Lauren, they part ways. Kieran is going off on a separate mission. Info gathering is basically what they're doing. And Lauren goes off on hers, and she gets pulled into a tent by a fortune teller. And, of course, she gets her fortune read. Yeah, this whole scene is fairly dramatic. So, the fortune teller calls her a maiden of the moon a reference to Loon, and she seems to know who she is. We're not clear, and Lauren is not clear on whether it's legit or an act. And she's fairly skeptical, but she sits down for a reading anyway, and we get some very dramatic reveals and fortunes from the fortune teller, including, and most significantly, that she will be betrayed by someone very close to her, and it's going to be unexpected. It also gets revealed that Lauren will experience some kind of death and rebirth of something or someone close to her. It's not entirely clear. Fortunes never are. But this leaves Lauren kind of shooken. Shooken, shaketh, shook. <laughs> yeah, her heart is racing with all of this information. Someone's going to betray her. She gets a death card, which regardless of how you spin it, does not sound good. So um, that's where we leave the episode, is with this bomb dropped on Lauren that she has to deal with now. Will, what did you think of all of this? On one hand, this is a way for the webtoon to hint at and raise up the tension for future scenes and future plot lines and all this other stuff and other things in the story. But to me... Whenever you introduce a fortune teller into your story, you have to be careful. And what I mean is Purple Hyacinth has not introduced any themes of destiny or fate or anything related to fortune telling. And when you introduce a prominent fortune telling scene, you have to set it up in a way that convinces the reader and the characters to buy into it. And I'm not sure that this scene worked for me. Yeah, I get you. And this is something that we've talked about before, like within the Bleak Midwinter, it has really strong themes of fate and destiny. And so this kind of approach would have worked with that kind of a webtoon. But Purple Hyacinth, this fortune teller section just did feel a little bit weird here. Slightly heavy handed, perhaps, in how dramatic it was. I think that played a big part in making it feel so heavy handed. If it had been a little bit 
lighter or played a little bit lighter, even if the fortune was the same thing, the art and everything contributed to the mood. The other part of this is that Lauren herself seemed really skeptical. So it didn't fit 100% when she bought into it, if that makes any sense. You know, I think if we had seen more of a progression of her thoughts go from being skeptical and there had been like a curiosity that led her to sit down at that table, that openness that we see from Lauren to learning about her fate would have helped us get into that scene and smoothen that scene out a little bit more so it felt more organic. Yeah, there's a little bit of a bumpiness to how Lauren gets into the booth. She doesn't quite buy into it, and the problem with that is it might make sense for her character to be skeptical, but it doesn't make sense for her character to go in when she's this skeptical. And so that kind of disconnect, it, it makes it feel weird for the reader, for me. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing that we've discussed before where like we need to get from A to B. Like Lauren needs to sit down, but she also needs to be herself. And those contradict each other a little bit. And that's something that just happens in this webtoon sometimes. And it's something that we brought up before. So it's not anything new necessarily. But we do learn the fortune and how it's going to impact Lauren in the future is going to be interesting to see. Lauren... I'm thinking that she's probably going to think that Kieran is going to betray her, that he's going to be that person. I don't think he'll actually be that person, but it's going to be interesting to see how critically she's going to think about this fortune that she's gotten and how it's going to affect her relationships and her behavior with people. Yeah. How much is this going to weigh on her mind? We'll see. Mm-hmm. And on to the next episode, episode 70, where we see the other half of the Loki circus date. We see Kieran's adventure now. He goes off to a stall and he kind of shows off some of his knife skills and he learns a little bit more information about the circus and their troupe. Yeah, Kieran gets to show off a little bit and, and he's throwing three knives at a time and he's Kind of smooth-talking the guy at the booth. He doesn't learn too much, but the most interesting thing I think that he picks up is about the Pantheon. The Pantheon is the troop, the elites, as they're called, closest at the center, and who are closest to the boss, which automatically raises some questions. Who is this boss? Are they Phantom Scythe-related? Like, what's happening? Uh, but the Pantheon are the troupe that we were introduced to in Chapter 51. Artemis, Hercules, Zephyr, and the Ilk. So, Kieran trots back over, sinks back in with Lorne, and they reconvene. Yeah, they exchange with each other what they've learned, and they also discuss the party that's going down at Viscount Redcliffe's Manor. Yes, this is the same one it, that's been mentioned throughout the webtoon happening on February 17th and the police were going to provide security to. And so we see all of these threads now converging. Flemings, the circus troupe, police detail. We've got to see what happens, but this is definitely going to be on the horizon. It's going to be big. Yeah, the... Episode moves on, and we go inside the big top, where it's really dark. 
No, I mean, it's really, really dark. And for the reader, it's actually a little bit difficult to see what's going on. But they go inside and they start to watch the different performers of the circus. Yeah, we see Artemis, we see Zephyr, we see all of the skilled troop members showing off their talents. And Lauren recognizes one of the performers. He's blonde, he's got a sharp jaw, some stubble. Could it be Raphael? We don't know. And she also recognizes the tattoo that different performers are shown to have at different parts of their body. It's the same tattoo as the messenger's wrist. And Kieran notices that the pianist also has the same wrist tattoo. And then we see the last performer being announced. Hestia, or as we know her, Belladonna Belladonna Davenport. Okay, when I first read this well, I was just like... I am so into this. Color me intrigued. Like, I was so into this ending, and it was like the perfect ending of the episode. Uh, This one was exciting for me. I liked it. Yeah, there's that gif out there. Yes, I say gif, not gif, of the the dude like sitting up and getting really interested all of a sudden. That was me in real life when I read this. (laughs) Yeah, that perfectly describes it. I am very excited to learn more about how she got involved with the circus and exactly what is up with them. Um, So that was kind of my main takeaway from the episode. What about you, Will? Do you have anything else? I don't have too much. I do like, again, an aerialist shown in a webtoon. I think it's really cool. Yada, yada, yada. I do aerial dance myself. Yada, yada, yada. Moving on. (laughs) It's, you know what? No, it's cool to see representation. So it's, it's definitely a nice thing to mention. And it, for me, even not as an aerialist, it was very cool to see the shapes that they were making and the skill being shown in a webtoon. So it was beautiful. But we're moving on now to episode 71, where we see a continuation of this scene with Lauren and Kieran realizing that Belladonna is part of this troupe. And Kieran mentions that he knows about Belladonna's circus background, particularly when she was younger, which raises the question, how does he know this? Why does he know about Belladonna's youth? Yeah, like how far back does their history go and how much do they know about each other? It's very curious. I'm very interested in this as well. Yeah, were there lots of nights spent smoking cigarettes next to each other or something? Like, I'd, how, how does he know this? Yeah, like commiserating about their childhoods. Yeah, it's a funny image, but seriously, though, it'll be interesting to know because Kieran is closely tied to Lauren, and we may have to see if Kieran and Belladonna are indeed, he called her an old friend, but if they were indeed closely associated before, she may play an even bigger part than we realize. While Lauren and Kieran are in the crowd, they also notice a very familiar face. It's Scarman himself, Tim Sake. What a coincidence! He's also here at the Shady Circus. Who would have guessed such a thing could happen? He's just here for tea. Uh, And so are we. And so are Lauren and Kieran. They decide to go investigate, so they go around back to the artist's tent where they see Belladonna and Tim having a confrontation. He came to the circus to bring her files that the messenger had requested with seller's information from what I assume is the nitroglycerin that they're stocking up. 
but he shares additional plans of getting rid of Lauren tonight. Timmy is planning a murder. Mm, but Belladonna beats him to it. Uh, yeah. And murders him first. <laughs> she full on just offs him. Yeah, Timmy gets turned into Kool-Aid, as some of the memes have pointed out. And by the way, the memes for this chapter are incredible. Thank you for everyone who makes them. But he gets got, he gets poisoned, he's dying, he's going to be dead in a few minutes, and he's left for dead. Mm-hmm, basically. And Lauren, her instinct is to try and save him, but Kieran kind of stops her. He's like, hey, it's too late for him. You need to get out of here because she's going to be under suspicion if she's found near the area, considering Harvey's death at the precinct and her history with Tim Sake, which is super interesting. And I have thoughts about this that I'll get into at the takeaways, but he impresses upon her the need for her to leave the scene. Yeah. And we know Lauren. This is the man who she looks at and maybe blames a little bit for what happened to her and her career. So this is a tough situation for her because she definitely wants to stay and maybe question him or try and save him to get more answers. Yeah, Lauren is not one for inaction, but she starts running. We don't see where to, so we'll have to see what happens in the next set of episodes. But she is definitely up and running. Meanwhile, Kieran is running too. He's off to go after Belladonna and see what she's up to. And the episode ends with someone finding the body. Whew, Will, this one was a doozy. Doozy indeed. What are your thoughts, Gertie? The thing that I'm most curious about, because we get another hint about Lauren's past and her history with Timsake. It's something that Belladonna says before she kills Timsake while she's confronting him. Are you afraid of her? That given the chance to kill you, she won't miss? Which makes me wonder, like, what did Lauren do? Did she try and kill this guy before? And that's why he has a restraining order against her? I am so curious. And on a related point, is there a reason that Lauren hasn't been pursued or ordered killed by the Phantom Scythe yet? She's interfered with them before, as we've just talked about, so they know about her, but... Is she being kept alive by someone higher up? Is there a reason she's not been targeted yet? Or is there the Tristan connection? I'm more joking than anything, but really, what is going on? You're right. Is there someone higher up who's doing this deliberately? It's pretty clear that they do have her eyes on Lauren. They do know who she is, but why hasn't anything happened yet? I'm not sure. It's a big mystery that I think we'll probably learn a little bit more about, hopefully definitely throughout the season and hopefully in this next arc, but I am so curious about it. Other than that, we had a couple of nice moments in this episode, like Kieran showing concern for Lauren. That's always lovely to see. Belladonna is just something else. She is as beautiful as she is deadly. And I'm just really curious about what's next and what's going to happen from here. Yeah, this was an interesting set of episodes. A lot happened and we got a lot of different angles from a lot of different characters. Yeah, this was definitely a mixed bag of chapters. We got a few key things, you know, the Lauren Kim dynamic, Will and his family dynamic, Grey Chapel, the political tension, and then, of course, the circus date. So there was a lot happening here, but I get the impression that a lot of these episodes are either set up or 
they're going to be called back upon in later chapters, like we did with episode 51 in the circus, with the circus date. Yeah, the circus date was certainly set up earlier, and we got it now. And I think we're both a little bit excited to think about what in these set of chapters is going to be called back later on. I think we're definitely going to get Raphael. I don't think this is the last that we've seen of Raphael. And we're definitely going to get a reveal or more information about Lauren's past and her history with Tim's sake. Those are the two things on my mind that I can see coming up. And of course, Viscount Redcliffe's ball. But I think that's not going to be for a while yet. It's probably going to be much later in the season. Yeah, 100% agree on all those. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Dakon and maybe the Queen. There's some interesting political backstabby things going on in the royal family. So I am very curious to see more of it. That's a really good point. That is something else that I'm really curious about. And we're definitely going to get more about that. I also forgot to mention the Sinclair New Year's party, I think is going to feature as well. It's at least setting up to do so. And I'm really curious to see what's going to happen there, especially with, as we've discussed, how shady Tristan Sinclair has been. Yes. Who shows up to this party? It's going to be really interesting to see. Mm -hmm. And what happens at this party? It's going to be fascinating. So to sum up, our closing thoughts on this group of chapters. Overall, another set of very enjoyable chapters. There were definitely some themes that were introduced in this section. And for us, some of them felt a little bit forced. I know we've been really critical of Purple Hyacinth in this episode, but we still like it. We still want to see what is to come, and we're still really invested in Lauren and Kieran. Yeah, that's something that we want to make really clear, is that criticism does not equal dislike. In fact, liking something and loving something, which I for one love and am so invested in Purple Hyacinth, it's one of my crack webtoons, it makes you even more invested in how good the story is and the direction of it. And both of us love this webtoon. We love recapping it and we love theorizing about it and talking about it and discussing it, which is why we do these recaps. So that's something that we want to communicate and make clear to you all because offering critique does not mean that we hate something. Not at all. Thank you very much for listening to another one of our Purple Hyacinth recap episodes. We're so happy you're here, and this was such fun to do. Will and I have so much fun doing these recaps, and we really enjoy reading Purple Hyacinth and discussing it with all of you. So if you want to catch up with us, you can do so at our social media, Twitter and Instagram, same deal, at the Webtoon Room. And if you want to email us, you can do that at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for sticking around to the end. And we hope you have a lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Bye.